is the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. Way more interesting than anything you're listening to on NPR. Probably less exciting than what you're watching on OnlyFans. Bruh. We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Ow. Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, Come on, man. and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started. Welcome back to the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. I'm Ashton Cohen. I'm joined today by one of the world's experts in public speaking, Richard Green. Richard has coached everyone from presidents, international leaders, CEOs, Princess Diana. He is a political communication strategist, civics educator, attorney, and author of the books, WTF are the midterms and words that shook the world, a hundred years of unforgettable speeches and events. So we're going to talk about what makes someone a great speaker, a great leader, who are the best and most inspirational leaders of all time. What are the most important speeches that shaped history? Who, if anyone has those qualities today, those great leadership speaking abilities, how, how does one improve their communication? And uh, I'm also going to dive in with Richard on his thoughts regarding how each political party communicates the Republicans, the Democrats, what their message are, what they're doing wrong, what they're doing right. So, uh, Richard, thanks so much for being with me. It's a real pleasure. You're welcome. It's uh, fun to be on with a, a fellow Southern California reformed lawyer. <laughs> yeah, a recovering attorney as well. Yeah. So actually start there. So you, you were an attorney as well. How did you get into being a uh, public speaking coach? Well, it was really serendipity. Um, in 1983, I get an invitation to go to this seminar called Fear into Power, the Firewalk Experience. And it showed a picture of a young man <clears throat> dressed in a suit, walking barefoot over a bed of hot coals. And of course, it turned out to be Tony Robbins. And it turned out that it was the very first seminar that Tony Robbins had given in the United States in his oh, wow. life. And he was 23 years old. I was, you know, a few years older and I went and there were only 150 people. I walked on fire and I saw this superstar communicator named Tony Robbins. And I go up to him after the seminar and I say, my name is Richard Green. I'm an attorney in town. And I have to tell you, you're one of the best communicators I've ever seen in my life. I am absolutely certain that you're going to go on and make a huge contribution to the world. And I'd love to help you do it. And he said, great, let's have lunch. We had lunch. At that point, there were only two other people working with him. And I ended up being hired as, as his lawyer and did a bunch of PR for him and, and, and help in developing his organization and outreach to other people to help validate him because he was such a young, a young guy. And then he moved into my law office suite and we would stay up till two, three every morning discussing how he's going to take on the world and the essence of communication and what makes him such a great public speaker. And after two years of working with him, I said, this is so much more fun and gratifying than practicing law. So I quit my law practice, traveled around the world for a while and came back and focused completely on teaching what I learned from Tony and from this science of communication called neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. And, um, I've now done workshops and coaching in 53 countries, and I'm really glad that I made that that shift. But I didn't 
want to just replicate what Tony was doing because no one could be like Tony Robbins. So I picked a niche, and that is the number one fear in the world amongst adults, which is public speaking. And it's like with the tools that I learned from Tony and just modeling him and what I already knew, I already loved public speaking, I created a very disruptive model on that helps people overcome their fear of public speaking, super simple, super quick, and um, have it be fun for them because it should be fun. But public speaking has not been taught enough in schools or in, even in corporations. Uh, political organizations. And when it's taught, it's often taught incorrectly, uh, mm -hmm. like 180 degrees incorrectly. So it was really fun to create a whole dis disruptive approach to that with my TED Talk and traveling around the world. And it's been very gratifying. He is, he is a brilliant speaker. He's one of the, the, when I think about like, who are the best speakers today, the most you know, the kinds of guys who could just like make you like run through a wall or something like that. Right. Let's or walk you, on fire, walk on fire. Literally like it's, it's him. He comes like, yeah, top five, maybe, maybe even number one. Like uh, I can't think of other people today who are, who are that charismatic. Well, what made you go to his, um, to, to the original event to begin with? Cause I'm very adventurous and it's like, Oh, wow, this looks like an interesting thing. I, maybe I could do it. Maybe I can walk on fire and I got to check it out. I was free that Friday night and I went. That's so funny. So with him, he just has this like insane amount of energy. Okay. How does he, and that's, that's kind of like he plays into his charisma as a, as a public speaker. It's just like it's his energy is like intoxicating. There are, there are obviously different great speakers who, who utilize sort of different patterns. Um, you know, Reagan was more folksy and, and he was a great speaker, but they're sort of like folks like you just loved him kind of thing, right? For the people who liked him. And, you know, JFK and Martin Luther King were more sort of that you know, inspirational, like high above the mountain, you know. I've been to the mountaintop and I've yeah. looked over and I've seen the promised land. Yeah. I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get to the promised land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. there's no one better than Dr. King. He, I think he's the best of all time as well. I, yeah, I do. You have different speaking styles, different people who are considered great or inspirational leaders utilizing different ways of, of galvanizing people or inspiring them or inspiring action or getting people to follow them. What do you see as between, as we said, you know, you have the, the inspirational types, you have the folksy types, you have the, the more maybe FDR types who kind of just speak to you, but maybe may not like raise their voice and, and, and be that as charismatic, you know, Tony Robbins types. What do you see as sort of the commonalities between the great speakers, the great leaders of, of all different kinds? Are there, are there certain things in common they have? Well, funny enough, that was the focus of my Ted talk, the seven communication secrets of the greatest speakers in history. I would say if you had to boil it down to one thing, Ashton, it is to be yourself. No BS, no acting, no performing, no giving a speech, just letting that authentic passion come out. And I've broken it down actually to seven different secrets, as, as I mentioned. But the core thing is that sense of authentic passion, finding you know, having a conversation from your heart 
about something that you feel deeply passionate about, but what's the purpose of the speech? The purpose of the speech is not to aggrandize yourself, not to get elected, not to get more votes, not to have people love you. The purpose of great speaking and what makes great speakers, whether it's JFK or Bill Clinton or Martin Luther King, um, and I think Barack Obama was actually quite a good speaker, Ronald Reagan, all of that is to actually help other people, mm-hmm. right? To share an idea that can be beneficial to individuals or a nation or the world, <clears throat> to share a product, to share a new perspective, to share a service, whatever it is. But it, it has, the, the common denominator is being yourself and from that place of being yourself and that authentic passion about what you're talking about to actually make a difference in other people's lives in the world. For example, we do that. We are great public speakers. Every time we go to a movie, for example, and we walk out of that movie theater in our hometown and we run into some people that we know and we say, oh my God, you have to see this movie. It's incredible. The acting, the cinematography, it made me cry, whatever it is. Why are you advertising for Disney or Fox or whoever the the film company is. Why are you doing that? You're doing that because it's an innate, natural, Mm -hmm. really strong desire inside of all human beings to help other people. You paid $15 for that movie ticket. You got $200 worth of benefit on it. That return on investment just really inspired you. and, And you're essentially saying, here, here's $185 the difference between the value and and what you paid. And we love doing that. We love talking about things, whether it's a, whether it's a movie or a play or a concert or a, or a new food or a new restaurant. That's the essential nature of being a great public speaker is wanting to help other people. Yeah. And there's something about, we talk about authenticity when somebody is, is phony, when they're not saying what they believe, even if they, they're otherwise a talented speaker, it just doesn't hit the right way, right? There's just something, I think, like innate that it just doesn't seem to hit the right way. You're talking about Hillary Clinton. Yeah. If, if Hillary Clinton had been more – I'm sorry? Kamala Harris as well. I think she's one of the best examples of that. This is somebody you know who, who dropped out with like less than 1% of the vote, had like everything on her side. Uh, and then you have, you know, to make it sort of, uh, to be fair about it, so Bernie, for example, not a, a great speaker, but he was so authentic to himself that he devoted this passionate following. Ron Paul was the same way. Trump was the same way to a certain extent. And his best moments Trump's when he was really authentic, you know, th- with things like he talked about the system being rigged. What do you mean the system's rigged? Like, I know I, cause I was a part of it. I paid them off, you know, like that, those moments are what made Trump, Trump. A hundred percent. And when he was running, I was one of the few people saying Donald Trump can win the primary. He might even win the general and people saying, no, no, no. And I said, no, he, he has six and a half of the seven secrets that make great communicators. And he's far more impactful than you think. But I, I have to say, Ashton, that it's it's a new de- And yes, Bernie is authentic. Um, uh, Kamala can be authentic, but she can also be inauthentic, which and she's a really, really effective communicator in many ways. But because of that small inauthenticity where she's performing, 
and she's trying to achieve a desired result, it undermines that authenticity. Whereas Bernie doesn't give a shit. Yeah. He's just going to say and do what he wants. Elizabeth Warren is the same way. But I do have to say that it's a little funny that we're saying that someone who has over 30,000 lies documented is being authentic. I, I prefer my students, whether they're political or in the business or Hollywood celebrities or royalty, to always tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Because I think that not telling the truth does undercut authenticity because you can't fully believe what someone's going to say, even though they're coming from that seemingly authentic place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that makes so, sense? Yeah, I, I I agree with that. So with, with Trump, that's why I qualify it to a certain extent. Kind of like baked into cake that he like exaggerates and bullshits like sometimes, right? And but, but, that, but, that, but why have we lowered the bar? So I would say with the difference between Trump and certain other politicians who who certainly lie – quite frequently. I mean, we see it right now with this current Never industry. that much. Never that much. Trump's bullshit was about mostly stupid shit. It was like crowd sizes. It was about, you know, no one knows this better than me. It was just, that was the baked into cake part rather than politicians who pretend to be straightforward and honest and full of integrity and then just consistently lie. Like, you know, Putin caused inflation, Jim Crow 2.0. They're going to put you back in chains. Like, but hold no on, hold on. oh my God. We could go on for hours. We can go right. on for hours. First of all, first of all, Putin attacking Ukraine and the the oil prices that have increased have, in fact, inflated what people have to pay when they put gasoline in their car. Do you do you disagree with that? Yeah. So, so the, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has increased the prices of oil. Yes. Inflation are well built. For Putin. There, there was this global pandemic for two years, which is still going on which totally screwed up supply chains. How could that not have an impact on prices? Well, in the United States, for example, we have significantly higher inflation than other parts of the world as well. So it, it, it didn't hit all places equally. And the $6 trillion and increasing the monetary supply by 35%, right? That's, that's going to that's gonna cause inflationary pressures. First of all, I don't know if it's true that our inflation is worse than all the other countries in yes, the world. Yeah, but, yeah we're, but, we're one of the higher but, ones, yeah. Right. But I think you then have to have a heart to heart, face to face conversation with the tens and tens of millions of people who got those covid stimulus checks, you know, those the six hundred dollars and then the two thousand dollars and then got all these unemployment benefits. I mean, do we not take a, does government not take care of people when there is a global emergency that killed as of yesterday a, a million people? And I, I think there is a role for government. And sometimes that does cause prices to, to, to go up. It, it does. But lying about the election, for example, which is at the fundamental core of our democracy, lying about that when you have Republican secretaries of state and governors saying that what Donald Trump is saying is absolutely not true and they frickin counted the votes, that is not a trivial matter. This lying is an issue and it undercuts his authority and his credibility and his authenticity. And that's why when you and I were talking, I said, he can't win again. He may get the nomination, but he cannot win. He has, like OJ, OJ won the first trial because people still thought he was cool. But when he went into the civil trial, 
in addition to having a different standard of proof, of course, you know, he lost because the gig was up. The gig will be up for Donald Trump by 2024. He will not be reelected president if he gets the nomination. Ron DeSantis, however, very likely could be the next president because he's he's a good communicator and he's strategically a genius at at co-opting the Donald Trump um, momentum and adding adding a lot to it. The bit I would disagree with you on is that that Trump somehow started the the election questioning. Right, we had that in 2016, we had that in 2000, we even had that in 2004. It's a dangerous thing. We shouldn't be in a situation. We shouldn't be a country now, like a third world country, where the loser is going to challenge the results of the election every single time, right? And so, Did, are, you, that- are you saying there is a moral equivalency between Hillary pointing to certain things and not having her fans storm the Capitol and not, you know, and and giving up, conceding. Hillary, remember, Hillary, she still doesn't claim that it was a legitimate election, right? You can run the best campaign, you can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you. Spread understanding that this election was not on the level. We still don't know what really happened, Isaac. I mean, there's just a lot. She, she still doesn't claim it was legitimate. Well, but part of it, I think, is also because she won by 2.9 million votes you know, that, that's a different argument. Everyone knew the rules of the game com- coming in. If the goal was to win the popular vote, there would be different strategies that you could employ to maximize, you know, Republican support in places like L.A. or New York City and Philadelphia. Because although they're small, raw numbers, there's a lot of people, right, who, who, who know their vote will never count. So, uh, you know, but you have to play the rules, rules of the game, right? Um, and if she did, by the way, if she if she if she did play the rules of the game. She if she did maximize her, her percentage chances of, of winning the election by visiting some of those states. She would have won. I, by the way, I completely disagree with it. People keep talking about if she had only gone to Wisconsin, how would that have gotten her to win Michigan and Pennsylvania? No, so, she would have had to spend but, more time in those in those states as well, and and cater her message towards, you know, I mean, those were traditional Democratic states, right? They, they they're not impossible to talked, win. If she had talked more about climate change. She would be in the White House now. Anyway, the 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 issue is is was she uh, was she inauthentic in her communications? Yes, and she still is. Is Donald Trump more authentic in certain ways? Yes, but when I teach my clients, yeah. I tell them never, ever, ever, ever to say something that is not true, or if they don't know, to say I'm not certain about this, but it's my belief that blah blah blah. I'll check it out mm-hmm. because integrity. And authenticity, in my mind, are tremendously linked. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So who do you think, maybe looking across the world landscape as well as, as well as the United States, currently in a position of power, you, so you, you mentioned DeSantis being a, a quite effective communicator and strategist, which I completely agree with. Who, who would you say would, would be in that bucket as well? I mean, currently, I actually like Emmanuel Macron, and I was really happy that he won that election. Um, He, to me, seems like a really charming, natural, authentic human being. He speaks in a conversational way. I love, you know, he addressed the the United States in English some time ago. I thought that was really cool. Um, I I, I love Macron. Um, I love um, the prime minister of New Zealand. Um, I think she's amazing. Um, And... um, I'm I'm not a fan of the authoritarians, even though they can be very effective communicators, like Erdogan and Bolsonaro and Putin. Not mm-hmm. not a fan, mm-hmm. but 
again, I'm not a fan of Hitler either. Yeah. And Hitler was an extraordinarily effective communicator. He was, yeah, he was effective. Yeah, that's for sure. So who do you think are the most overrated or and underrated speakers in history? Um, I think Gavin Newsom has a chance of, be, of being the Democratic nominee in 2024. And I think Gavin is underrated. I think he's a far more effective communicator and speaker uh, than we can credit for. I think Tim Ryan, who I mentioned, who's in a race to win the Senate in Ohio, I think he is an incredibly effective communicator. He's very passionate, but he's very mainstream. He's very blue collar. He's very relatable. <clears throat> and I think Tim has a chance of being the nominee for the Democratic uh, for you know the Democratic nominee for president as well. I do not believe that Joe Biden is effective. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you if you take away how old he looks and you take away the stumbling that he always has with sentences, he's got a speech issue. He's always had that. It's gotten worse. It's not a good look. It's going to, I believe, disqualify him from being renominated and reelected. Um, Kamala is, I think, underappreciated in certain ways and overappreciated. When she is on, like when she's in the, the, the Judiciary Committee hearings and she's cross-examining witnesses or Supreme Court nominees, she's really good. She's really good, Ashton. As a lawyer, I, I would think you would appreciate that. Even though I look at her now, I'm like, this is, um, when she ad-libs now, it's a, it's really, a, it's like a dumpster fire. It's like, oh my God. But yeah, I, I remember she had moments in the Judiciary Committee where she was, yeah, speaking and she came off as as a you know effective prosecutorial type person, right? And I think, but for that, Joe Biden would not have picked her as VP. I think that is her branding, and it's been very effective. Um, I I think she's immature. I think she's not quite ready for prime time, but she's a talented and effective communicator and politician. And but she's not going to be ready for twenty twenty four. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, the uh, Tim Ryan, somebody like that would be effective if they if they were to get the Democratic nomination. They would be competitive. A, a center-left person who can speak to middle America would be quite an effective candidate. So we'll have to see. Or, I, I, I think he's going to lose the Ohio race just because I think Ohio has has moved quite a bit to the Republican well, camp. But if it, he were to win that, I could see him being a nominee, yeah. I agree. The abortion decision is going to upend all political um, thought. I have called this the midterms, three different elections, which all cut in favor of Democrats. It's the women's reproductive choice elections of 2022. It's the climate emergency elections of 2022. And then something I call the marijuana midterms. So if you can <clears throat> activate non-voters who care about climate, non-voters who, who care about a woman's reproductive rights, and non-voters who love marijuana and want to see it decriminalized nationally, that is a huge chunk of the 120 million American citizens who won't otherwise vote. If they vote, every single pollster's projection for the House, the Senate, governorships is going to be completely wrong. Okay. So you, you and I will have to go out for drinks for that. The, well, let's the bet. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's bet. bet. I'll, I'll, I'll take a bet that it will be Republicans taking up at least 20 seats in the House. I'll say they'll be the majority of the Senate and the House. I, I think these are subsidiary issues to inflation, economy, crime, 
even though crime is a national issue, that people blame Democrats for that. So I, I think that's going to win the day. Let me give you the, the mathematical response to that. And this is the old, I think, way that consultants think about elections. You can talk about crime, you can talk about inflation, you can talk about you know, gas prices, you can talk about jobs and the economy, right? Immigration even, all of these issues. Even with all of these issues, you're gonna have 120 million American citizens, mostly Democratic-based voters who will not be voting because they're not inspired by those issues. They're just not inspired by those issues, right? You can't blame them. What do they care about? They like to smoke weed. That's gonna have them vote if it's properly messaged for Democrats. They care about climate change. That's not in the top tier list of issues that people focus on. Yeah, so we're undercounting, we're undercounting the enthusiasm of core demographic core democratic voters. So just marijuana climate and and reproductive choice, those are issues that the 120 million who don't vote can be and will be inspired by. So I'll take your bet. Okay. So if it's less than a 30 vote pickup in the House, you're taking me to a dinner of my choice in okay. Los Angeles. Right. And if it's 30 or more, I'm taking you to whatever restaurant you want, Ashton. All right, fair enough. That, that, sounds, like a, that sounds like a deal. What do you think are the, the most impactful speeches? You've, uh, you've obviously studied speeches, some of the, the most memorable ones. What do you think are some of the most impactful ones in history? Right. I wrote a, I wrote a book on it. I, I think by far the I have a dream speech is the greatest speech of the 20th century and perhaps in all of history. I, read that. I was just in Washington for the White House Correspondents Dinner events and I went to the Lincoln Memorial, you know, and I read the Gettysburg Address. I mean, that's possibly the greatest speech that's ever been written. We don't know how it was delivered. Unfortunately, right. I heard Lincoln had a bit of a high squeaky voice, but he was one of the greatest poets in the history of the world. Um, the ask not what your country can do for you. Unbelievably great speech um, by JFK. J uh, I have a dream. And then the Kennedy inaugural are considered by most people to be the number one and number two speeches of the 20th century. But one of the most, probably the most effective speech, at least political speech that's ever been given is one that took a state senator in a period of four years and turned him into the president of the United States. And that was Barack Obama's 2004 keynote speech for John Kerry in Boston. And I was actually there in the arena and I turned to a United States senator and I said, this guy's gonna be president, the next president if he wants it. And he said, oh no, young man, he didn't say young man, but that was the tone. He said, no, yeah. he's too young, maybe in time, but not now. I said, no, he struck a chord that no politician has struck. I, you could feel it in the arena. He's going to be the next president if he wants. Mm -hmm. So That was an excellent speech. Are there any sort of bad guys in history that that you've you've noticed gave like a really resounding speech? Because we, we always point to like, you know, sort of the Western, Western leaders and democratically elected people. Are there any... Uh, nefarious characters that you're like, oh, that was a, that was an amazing speech. Well, listen, I, Hitler. Yeah. I mean, is there one in particular? Hitler, no. Listen, I, I wrote my book, Words That Shook the World, on the 20 greatest or most inspiring speeches of the 20th century. And I purposely chose not to either study or include um, 
Hitler, Mussolini, uh, Mao Zedong, any of these bad mm -hmm. authoritarian dictators, because I do not believe that their words shook the world in a positive way, and that right. was the focus of the book. Right, right. So, but they used all the te they used all the techniques, right? Yeah. I mean, my understanding, Hitler would practice, you know, in front of a mirror, and it's the cadence and to create this hypnotic effect. Mm -hmm. But but he was manipulating people, right. and he was lowering the enlightenment of the planet. And I I, I try not to focus too much on yeah. people like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. people who are incredibly uplifting. Right. And for example, one of the greatest speeches, it was more of a poem than a speech, was Amanda Gorman, who was that African-American poet for Joe Biden's inauguration. Did you see her presence, her use of voice tone, her incredible timing and the cadence? It's incredible. But that was yeah. poetry. But great speeches like from Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King are poetry. Their songs. I was just thinking it, it would be a hard one to say. <laughs> like the most influential speeches, and it's like page twelve, Adolf Hitler. It's like that would be that would be a hard one to kind of have in there. People would think you're endorsing or something. So even even with last name Green, yeah. No, my but, my book is a, a coffee table book, and I said I, I don't want, especially being Jewish, especially being Jewish, right? I don't want Adolf Hitler on my coffee table. But yeah, it's a. It, the, the interesting dynamic about that, of course, is that some, some obviously some, some really bad people have been able to inspire inspire millions of people, uh, tens of millions of people as well. Uh, you know, my mom is from Iran. She's a, a Persian Jewish refugee from that country. And so, you know, that that's, you know, that's one of the more recent examples of the history of somebody, you know, somebody with medieval values being able to uh, galvanize large scale support uh, to take over a country. And so yeah. that that aspect of human nature also interests me is just like how and usually even with the, some of the worst people it's not like they speak in a x-rated tone or they talk about killing everybody right a lot of times they are also presenting you know some version of a hopeful message even though they have much more sinister ideas of how to how to achieve that so that aspect right. has always been interesting to me as well yeah you you have to appeal to basic human needs Right. right. Whether you want to take people in a good direction or a horrible mm -hmm. direction. And that's mm -hmm. what that's what dictators do. That's what, um, you know, these charismatic creatures throughout history have done. But but not to again, remember what I said earlier, what makes a great speaker in my mind is to do something that really does help people, not mm -hmm. something that just gains money or power right. for yourself. What would be your your biggest recommendation for, let's say, both both political parties in terms of communication? You're advising. Republican leader, you're advising Democrat leader. What do you focus on? And then f mention what your what gives you the most anxiety about the future and what gives you the most hope. I'm a big, 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 big fan of integrity and telling the truth. I think the Republican Party needs to tell the truth. <clears throat> and I know politically that's tough. And the truth is that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. I think they also need to understand that we have some issues that they're wrong on, like climate change, and they need to re- design how they approach how we use fossil fuels in this country. With Democrats, even though I am a Democrat, as you I'm sure can tell, the fact that the San Francisco school board, Democrats on the San Francisco school board, were trying to cancel Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, mm -hmm. I'm furious about that. It's like, because they weren't good enough to black people. It's like, well, there's this thing called history and we have an evolution. And even in our constitution, we had black people were only three fifths of people. They were counted as three fifths, right? So we've made 
huge evolutionary change. You cannot blame George Washington or Abraham Lincoln from being <clears throat> for living in a time where we weren't where we are now. So our wokeness as Democrats are destroying our ability to talk about the issues, the vast majority of issues that Democrats have that are owned and supported by the rest of the American people, like climate, like legalizing marijuana, like <clears throat> pro-choice, like equal pay for women, like voting rights, all of that. And I do think that that wokeness also, and Ron DeSantis totally played the Democrats, <clears throat> because this don't say gay bill in Florida that Disney got all upset about, it's not a bad bill. It's not a bad bill. <clears throat> I don't want my son or daughter being taught about sexuality or transgender issues when they're six, seven, and eight years old. I mean, that's just, the Democrats have to understand and this defund the police. So the, the extreme 5% needs to get their shit together because Republicans are genius at leveraging this wokeness into electoral victory. And they will in the midterms, unless we focus on the issues that America cares about and even you care about, like legalizing pot. So what was the other question? The last question was, what, what gives you most consternation? And this doesn't have to be political, but you know, one of the things, so you're, you, you focus obviously on public speaking, a lot of children, because social media, and just constant communication on texting, on, on devices, have lost communication skills. Like that's a, that's, a, that's a fact. A lot of people can't handle confrontation. They can't handle face-to-face -face interaction. The pandemic obviously made this worse, and especially to the most vulnerable children. Um, you know, uh, separate them from their peers for years. Uh, so what gives you most consternation just, just in society in general? And, and what gives you most hope for the future? I am concerned about our lack of face-to-face -face communication. I think that hurts us. We are social beings. We have to be out amongst other people. When we are isolated, that's what creates serial killers. They're always loners. It's not who we are as a species. We need to be with other people. So that concerns me. And texting does not replace having a real conversation like you and I are going to have when you buy me dinner after the election. <clears throat> but the thing that bothers me the most right now <clears throat> is I know a fair amount about narcissistic personality disorder. I wrote a piece about Donald Trump. Vladimir Putin is mentally ill. <clears throat> I think he's a narcissistic personality disorder victim, and he's also a sociopath. He doesn't care about killing Ukrainians. He doesn't care about torturing people. He is only focused on his own agenda. And people with severe narcissistic personality disorder, they never admit defeat, they never admit weakness, and they never give up. Putin will not give up. That's And, and that's going to affect gas prices, uh, food commodity prices, and everything for the next several years. So I am, I have some significant consternation about that. You're great to talk to. Uh, you're you're very fun. I love that we don't agree on very much. And again, I'm as I said, I'm I'm looking forward to that to that dinner. I, I am. That I very, appreciate you being with me. I think it was, a, it was a fascinating discussion. So, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see who wins at the end. But looking forward to it. Well, Take care, Ashton. Ashton. If you enjoyed our show, please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks for listening and we will be back next week.
We're going to talk about the issues that really matter. Our country, our economy, the Fed, QE, GDP, BTC, NFTs, AOC, the CCP, Cardi B, Ow. Yeezy, Yellow Socks, Iran, Joe Biden's dementia, Come on, man. and probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started.